You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about memory. That thing that as we get older, we often find becoming less reliable, and but it remains critical to not only to our success, but also to our self-improvement. To help us, we have with us Chester Santos, the international man of memory. He's one of the world's foremost experts on memory training. He's helped thousands of people around the world to realize the benefits of an improved memory and sharper mind and has appeared in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, San Francisco Chronicle, Washington Post, USA Today, PBS, CNN, and various other television, radio, and print media all over the world. Chester, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. All right. So before we jump into the topic of memory, we always like to give our guests an opportunity to expose themselves a little bit and ask an odd question so our audience gets to know you a little bit better. And obviously you're passionate about memory and we're going to talk about that. But I'm curious, what's something else you're passionate about that our listeners may be surprised to learn? Surprised to learn? Possibly close-up magic. That's been a hobby of mine over the years, but really it's developing skills in as many different areas as possible, lifelong learning, which probably isn't surprising to people. So I like to develop new skills. One has been close-up magic. Lately, I'm learning Russian, how to speak Russian. So I'm always working on learning something new. All right. So I have to ask, why Russian? Well, uh, Russian now because I'm dating a Russian girl. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I, the mother of invention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I've also worked on Korean over the years, different languages. <laughs> okay, excellent. I appreciate that. And so now let's talk about the concept of memory. What you know? What got you into memory? How did this become a passion of yours? Well, it you know pretty ran. It's pretty random how it all began. I was just flipping channels one night. I happened to catch a segment on ABC's 2020 that evening news program. I caught a segment on the United States National Memory Championship, and it just sparked my interest because I would often get the comment from people. People would say to me, "Wow, you have a really good memory." And with those comments in the back of my mind, when I caught that episode. I thought, hmm, you know, maybe I could do well in this competition. But I quickly found out when looking into the best people in the United States, I I found out that although I was probably above average in terms of memory to begin with, I was nowhere near the level of the top competitors in the USA Memory Championship, memorizing hundreds of digits, hundreds of names, decks of playing cards in just minutes. So that's when I started doing a lot of research into what are the ways as far as how can we take our current memory ability and magnify that to bring it to a much higher level. So I experimented with a lot of different techniques based on my research. I found what seemed to be working best for me personally. I stuck to training myself in that small subset of techniques until eventually I did manage to win the United States Memory Championship. And since then, I've spent the last 13 plus years training other people around the world in techniques that I feel can benefit them right away in their career, personal life, and also in academic studies as well. 
and when it comes to working with people around memory, I mean, this is depending on the age and how people approach it, you know, it could be a sensitive thing for some people. It can be frustrating, I'm sure, for, for others. But when you sit down to work with individuals to help them, you know, improve their memory, what do you see? What's the largest challenge you see most typically? Yeah, the most common challenge that I think people face is getting over the belief that you either are born with a good memory or a bad memory and there's really nothing, you know, it's not, it isn't an area that can be improved upon or if it is possible to improve, it's going to be incredibly uh, difficult. So in fact, anyone, you know, everyone out there, no matter what your current level of memory ability, you can dramatically improve it with just the right techniques and a little bit of training and practice. And the whole process can be a lot of fun. So people are usually first exposed to me via, you know, the media. And I always try to make interviews fun, interesting, provide some sort of interactive exercise. I hope that we can do that at some point today, or they're exposed to me through one of my presentations that I give around the world. And I try to really in just a few minutes, make it clear that with the right approach, it's amazing what you will be able to do in terms of your memory. And, and so I probably like, unlike most of our audience, I have a, a passion to kind of geek out on neuroscience. And so for our audience, can you give them some context about how memory actually works, the mechanic, underlying mechanics of it? Yeah, so memory is a series of connections in the brain. We are able to learn new things the more we actually have stored into our memory. So learning and memory will always come down to creating a connection in your mind between something new that you're trying to learn and something that you already know. So in fact, the more that you already know, the easier it becomes to learn new things. So it's the opposite of what a lot of people think, or maybe it's just an excuse that people use. I often hear people say, you know, I don't want to learn all of this useless information. I don't really want to <laughs> stuff my brain with anything that I could just look up, right? You hear that a lot nowadays, especially as people become more and more dependent on electronic devices. But in fact, that is not how memory works. <laughs> it will not fill up. If, there's, is, if there is a limit to human memory, we're not going to find it in our lifetimes. In fact, you can stuff your brain with as much information as possible, and that's going to benefit you in terms of your future learning. Well, it gives you a, it gives you a deeper well from which to draw on to, to form opinions, perspectives, to, to choose which actions or which directions you want to go. I, I've often seen people who don't take the time to, let's say, engage with knowledge as much as rely on Google like the, the universal knowledge terminal. So having the ability to cram more into your head or keep more there, I think is, a, is an important focus for people. It's, I don't see a lot of people focusing on it. So very excited to, to have you on the, on the show. I'm curious, I can't remember if it was an HBR article. I can't remember where I read it, but I, I remember seeing something or reading something about how over time memories change. Uh, or the way that they're accessed. Is is this true from your perspective, or have you seen this be the case when you're working with individuals out there? Yeah, I understand. I, I believe what you're hitting on there, but that wouldn't be my area of expertise. So I believe what they're probably talking about is, especially in the case of episodic memory. So, you know, your birth, how you remember, for instance, an, a birthday party from when you were 10 years old, 
how you remember it today, maybe 10 years later, certain details might be altered. So it's episodic memory experiences that we have do change over time. That's not really my area. My area is more semantic memory. So facts, figures, processes, procedures. And I'm really focused on the business applications and also how to apply it to university work as well. Okay. So yeah, that isn't really necessarily my area, how episodic memory changes over time. Well, and I think that's an important distinction, right? For the audience, there's the, the concept of episodic versus semantic. And so when we talk about having a powerful semantic memory, there's principles right, that you've come up with. And, and kind of curious to have you kind of break down the top three for us, top three principles of having that powerful semantic memory. Yeah, the three main principles that will always apply no matter what type of information, facts, figures, processes, procedures, names that you're trying to commit to memory, the three principles will always be one, visualization. Try to turn the information in some way into something that you can picture, something that you can see in your mind, because we are very good at remembering things that we see. An example I'll give I'll give it in terms of names. We'll get into names maybe in more detail later if there's time, but I'm just going to use this to illustrate what I mean in terms of the power of visuals. You go to a party, you meet a lot of new people. Two weeks after that party is over, you're talking with one of your friends that was there with you at the party and your friend describes someone to you. Hey, Chad, do you remember that attorney that we met at the party a couple weeks ago? He's also a member of the tennis club. As your friend goes through the description of the person, a lot of times you can picture them in your mind, right? You might right. even be able to visualize or pull up in your mind an image of what they were wearing that night when you met them at the party. But a lot of times you can't manage to remember the name. Your friend also can't remember <laughs> the person's name. <laughs> yeah. And it's really frustrating to both of you, right? So that illustrates there that when it comes to dealing with people, we tend to be pretty good at remembering people's faces, right? We can pull up an image of what they look like in our mind, but we're not nearly as good at remembering the name. This makes sense when you think about it, because when we interact with people in various ways, we see the face, right? The face is recorded into our visual memory, but we don't see the name. It's something much more abstract to the brain. So it's just a good example of how good we are at remembering things that we see, but when we don't see, it's more difficult. So principle number one is try to turn the information in some way into a visual. In the case of names, like if the name is Mike, I might visualize a microphone. If the name is Alice, I might picture a white rabbit because that <laughs> reminds me of Alice in Wonderland. And again, I, I can get into names uh, in more detail later if there is time, but really I wanted to introduce the, the power of visualization. Principle number two is after you have the visual, try to involve more and more senses as you can, because as you do that, you will be activating more and more areas of your brain and you'll be building more and more connections in your mind to the information making it easier to retrieve it later on. So speaking of the neuroscience aspect of memory, which isn't not necessarily my area, mine is more the techniques that you can learn. There is an episode that I starred in of PBS's Nova Science. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that show. I starred in an episode titled, How Smart Can We Get? Or people can just Google me, Chester Santos and PBS, 
if they check it out, they'll see me performing some memory feats on the show. And then I train David Pogue. People might also know David Pogue from the New York Times and CBS News. I trained him on the show. And after that, they had some people that specialize in the neuroscience. They had some brain scientists on the show. And the brain scientists explained for people watching at home, okay, how did Chester pull that off? How did David Pogue pull it off with just, just a little bit of training from Chester? The brain scientists confirmed that it's because with these memory techniques that I've mastered over the years that I help people to learn that we'll talk about today, with these techniques, we're recruiting more of the brain to help us, areas of the brain that most people don't involve when they try to commit things to memory. And part of that is learning to use additional senses in order to activate more of the brain. So that's the second principle, more senses. The third and final principle is simply while you are seeing and experiencing all of this in your mind, try to make it crazy, unusual, extraordinary in some way, because there is a psychological aspect to human memory. And that is all of us, without putting forth any effort at all, we tend to remember things that catch us by surprise that are strange, unusual, extraordinary, right? So if an elephant crashed into the room that you're in right now, Chad, if that actually happened, at this moment, you would probably remember that for the rest of your life. Even 40 years later, you might tell the story, you're never going to believe this. I was interviewing this memory guy for my show. And while we were doing the interview, an elephant just crashed into the room. It might be stuck in your brain forever without you even trying to commit it to memory. And although scientists actually don't, to this day, they don't understand exactly how that works in the brain, how something goes in a long-term memory in one second, stays there forever, whereas other times we spend weeks, months on trying to get things into long-term memory and we find it difficult. Although it isn't fully understood, we just need to realize there is that aspect to how human memory works, that psychological aspect, and then we can apply it to things that would be useful, remembering names to get more into business networking, remembering presentations, and so on. Excellent. All right. So when we were getting ready to set this up and stuff, we, we wanted to make sure we left some some room so that we could kind of do a demonstration or an exercise. And so this is kind of where we're at. And so I'm kind of going to turn it over to you and and have you do one of your exercises with me, I guess, and, and see how it goes. Cool. Uh, I'm glad you're up for it, Chad. I am going to use you as, as the guinea pig here. <laughs> I'm going to have you try to commit a long list of random words to memory, the whole exercise, I think front to back will take about five minutes or less total. You're going to do your best to commit this list of words to memory and people listening to the interview can follow along. It's going to be monkey, iron, rope, kite, house, paper, shoe, worm, envelope, pencil, river, rock, tree, cheese, and dollar. Now, when I recite, uh, yeah, don't worry. People are usually intimidated by that. That's a normal reaction. If this were a a live presentation, usually at this point, I I can see people in the audience looking at me as if I'm a bit crazy. They think there's no way they're going to be able to remember the, the list of words, not unless I give them a long time to do it. And if they were to attempt it at all, they would usually, how would you usually commit something like that to memory? You'd usually write it out over and over again read it over and over again, recite it to yourself over and over until you feel that you've drilled it into your head. That approach, with that approach, you are not making the most efficient use of the brain to encode information into memory. If you manage to finally drill it into your head, it will only be in the very short term. 
So if I were to ask you the word list in a few days, you would probably remember close to zero of those (laughs) words, but we're going to use a different approach that will make it, it's going to be a much more fun and interesting approach, and it's going to be more easy and you're going to, uh, it's going to be much easier and you're going to have retention in in the long term of the list. So we're going to keep those three main, main principles that I went over earlier in mind, and we're going to use them to build a little story. So I want you to just visualize what I described to you. The first word was monkey. So I just want for you to visualize a monkey. The monkey is dancing around. It's making monkey noises. Whatever monkey would sound like. I'm working on the monkey impression. (laughs) But the point here is to try and see and hear that monkey in your mind. And again, the listeners can follow along with this. The monkey now picks up a gigantic iron because that was the next word like you would iron your clothes with so the monkey is dancing around with this gigantic iron the iron starts to fall but a rope attaches itself to the iron maybe you even feel the rope maybe it feels sort of rough all right so really interact with it feel the rope you look up the rope you see the other end of the rope is attached to a kite the kite is flying around in the air you reach up and try and touch it Maybe it's just out of your reach, that kite. The kite now crashes into the side of a house. Really see it smash into the house. The house, you notice, is completely covered in paper. For some strange reason, it's completely covered in paper. Picture that. That was the next word I had given. Out of nowhere, a shoe appears and it starts to walk all over the paper. Maybe it's messing up the paper as it's walking on it, that shoe. Really see that shoe. The shoe smells pretty badly, so you decide to investigate and see why. So you look inside of the shoe and you find a little worm crawling around inside of the shoe. Really see that smelly worm. The worm jumps out of the shoe and into an envelope. Maybe it's going to mail itself or something. I don't know. (laughs) Envelope was next. Out of nowhere, a pencil appears and it starts to write very quickly all over the envelope. Maybe it's addressing the envelope, that pencil. The pencil now jumps into a river and there's a huge splash like you wouldn't expect when the pencil hits the river. The river, you notice, is crashing up against a giant rock. It's crashing up against a giant rock. The rock flies out of the river. It crashes into a tree. This tree is growing cheese. You probably haven't seen a tree like that before. (laughs) This one's growing cheese. And out of each piece of cheese shoots a dollar. A dollar comes out of each piece of cheese. Last word I had given you was dollar. Now, you may already know all of those words, actually, but I'm going to replay through this story in about one minute or less. And in your mind, you're just going to re- visualize that entire story replay through it in your head so we've got the monkey it was dancing around with something what was it dancing around with it was an iron something attached itself to the iron it was a rope the other end of the rope attached to a kite the kite crashed into a house it was covered in something what was it It was paper what walked on the paper it was a shoe what was crawling in the shoe it was a worm The worm jumped into an envelope. What wrote on it? It was a pencil. The pencil jumped into the river. 
the river was crashing up against a rock that flew into a tree. What was the tree growing? It was growing cheese. And what came out of the cheese, it was a dollar. So now you should be able to pretty easily recall the list of random words by simply playing through the story in your mind. Each object that you see in the story will give you the next random word. So Chad, just give it a try. Take your time, do your best, and people listening to the interview can follow along and see how well they do. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, so there was a monkey. Uh, playing with an iron, went to drop it and a rope attached to it. Yeah. Uh, and the rope, and then I look up and there's a, a kite, Got which it. crashes into a house covered in newspaper. In my head, it's newspaper, but paper. Got it. Yeah. Um, then there comes this giant shoe out of nowhere, which smells really bad. And I mm -hmm. look inside, there's a worm. Um, Got it. That jumps into an envelope to mail itself somewhere yeah uh, then a um, pencil comes out to address it um yep. then there's a splash no uh there's pencil goes into a river got it splash um river's hitting a, a rock uh-huh um rock hits a tree yes trees growing doll no trees growing cheese and yeah cheese coming dollars Hundred percent, you got it. Hundred percent correct, there, Chad. <laughs> and Great I probably job. won't forget that because of that visual. It's very cartoonish in my head, but I've got that visual up there going on. <laughs> yeah, really well done there. Under pressure. I mean, I just sprung that on you in the middle of an interview. Thank you for being up for that. You did really well, and people will definitely remember that even weeks later. And if you just do one mental review. A few weeks later, you will remember even long term. So these types of techniques combined with spaced repetition, reviews spaced out over time are very good for long term memory. I get people emailing me even many months after giving a presentation somewhere. They'll email me just wanting to show that they can't believe they still remember all of the words uh, in, in order. <laughs> It's And it's an amazing combination of those three principles that you talked about. So let's yeah. kind of take it to the next level. When it comes to business, you know, how do you see this playing out in business? Or can you give us an example of, a, of somebody or a company or, that you worked with and how it kind of came to fruition? Walk us through that story. Yeah. So there are just so many, so many business applications. If we're going to stick to talking about the simple story method, for now, if you'll take it a little bit further and learn how to turn those images into mental note cards, you could, for instance, give a presentation from memory, minimizing the amount of notes you use, minimizing the amount of slides. You're always going to be a much more effective and persuasive speaker if you can do that. So, for instance, if I were going to give a talk about healthcare in the United States, always a hot topic or discussion here in the US, <laughs> I might start, I might start my first image with a stethoscope, you know, that the doctor uses to check your heartbeat, that's just going to represent the broad topic of healthcare. First thing I want to hit on in my presentation, talk about with the audience is the high cost of healthcare in the United States, I might imagine out of the stethoscope, $100 bills are shooting out of the stethoscope. The next thing I want to cover in my presentation is that under current healthcare programs, a lot of times in order to 
get something covered, we have to find a way to navigate through or cut through a lot of red tape. Maybe wrapping itself around the $100 bills is all of this red tape. So that should give you an idea of how you could apply something as simple as the story method to giving a presentation. So I've, I've given presentations all over the world, sometimes even with some famous professors. And although they may be a world-class expert in their field, the comment cards might not reflect the best scores because <laughs> a presentation sometimes is, you know, here's slide number one on my research, here's slide number two on my research. There's a lot of charts and graphs. People start to fall asleep. And another problem is, and I've experienced this attending even, well, I won't say, but just some really famous people's presentations. I get a bit confused in that they're saying one thing, but their slide is, a, is of a chart and you're kind of confused. Am I supposed to be reading the, the chart right now? Am I supposed to be reading the information on the slide or am I supposed to be listening to them? So it can be distracting, right? I think it's always going to be more effective if you can minimize the amount of notes, minimize the amount of slides. So that's one thing, but this could also be preparing for a client meeting, right? You're meeting with uh, a, a client or potential client trying to sell your services, right? Uh, five to 10 key things you learned about them, about their business, five, 10 key things you learned about their competitors, 10 key ways as to how your product offerings, your services can benefit them, right? When you are able to do that in a client meeting and just demonstrate that you know all of this, right? Demonstrate your knowledge and expertise. People have so much more confidence in you and your abilities, we always want to do business with those people that we perceive to be the most of an expert in their particular field. Also, you know, we perceive intelligence when someone seems to have a razor sharp memory. And in today's business world, when people tend to be very dependent on electronic devices, they're not really preparing all of this information for meetings. They don't, they aren't able to demonstrate that knowledge when you're able to do it. With a little bit of memory training, you're much more memorable in business nowadays. Yeah, I love that. I love it. All right, so let's change direction here a little bit. You're obviously, you know, you're, you're traveling the world. You're giving presentations. There's probably people that want to get in front of you and and sell you things or get some ideas in front of you. And I'm always curious to know when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral, somebody in your network refers them in, and they're still trying to capture your attention. What works best when somebody's trying to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? Yeah. So I would say it is doing that research, demonstrating in some way their knowledge, their expertise. So that might get them the call, but I, I've had, you know, I've been a one-man business now for 12 plus years since 2008 is when I started and I've had to hire all sorts of professionals, marketing, PR, tech. And when I have that initial call with someone, if I just, you know, granted, I'm on the extreme end, given what I do, <laughs> but, if they, you know, if they answer a lot of my questions with, you know, yeah, I have done a little bit of work in that area, but I'll have to do some research and get back to you uh, or refamiliarize myself with that particular topic. I'm just not that impressed and I, I will never hire that person. On the other hand, when I've met with, you know, people I'm thinking about hiring and my perception is after the call, wow, they really know their stuff. This is clearly the expert. I've gone out of my way in certain cases to pay even more than I originally budgeted 
for, for that particular project because I want the person that's just really impressive that I perceive to be the expert. So I guess my answer is do a lot of preparation, <laughs> do, do whatever you can to show that you're a cut above the rest and that you are truly the expert in that particular field. And I think uh, maybe also to, I'm given a, a passionate answer to this maybe because I've had to hire so many different people <laughs> over the years to do so many different projects. Also, another way I think is, you know, that you can get more referrals, of course, is to do just an extraordinary job. And I've just unfortunately hired a lot of people over the years that I wasn't that impressed with their, their level of competence, I guess, in their particular field. So you've got to do whatever you can to, to up, up your knowledge and, and skills. Love it. And so our last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If you could give one piece of advice to sales or marketing or professional services, people, one piece of advice that if they listened to and started to apply, you believe would help them exceed their targets, what would it be and why? Yeah, I think I started to hit on it in my previous answers, just really do the best job that you possibly can keep upskilling, I get upskilling, if that's a word or not, (laughs) upping your skills to really make sure that you are at the top of your field, so that when you do complete project work for someone that they are going to refer you to their friends, family members, and colleagues. Again, I've hired a lot of people over the years that just weren't, again, I'm picky. I think <laughs> someone, someone that's, you know, dedicated the time to become a, a memory champion. I have a, I have a strong educational background as well. I mean, I've just hired marketing and PR people over the years where the copy that they wrote had some grammatical errors or the, the logical, the, the, there wasn't a logic <laughs> <laughs> to the flow of their writing and things like this. I, I felt like I was dealing with a B or C student or something and I'm grading their, I'm grading their work. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of times I could have done a better job. So you don't want that to happen. I mean, you really, whatever you might be currently weak in, spend some time to work on developing that. Always work on upskilling, upping your skills so that people will be very impressed with your work and then you're going to get referrals. Love it. Chester, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. If listener wants to reach out to you, learn more about uh, what you do or engage with you, where would you like us to send them? Yeah. If people would like to further develop their memory skills, they can go to memoryschool.net. I would visualize a giant fishing net, uh, maybe to remember that it's .net. So memoryschool.net. I did set up a special code for your audience. It would just be B2B. So the letter B, the number two, the letter B. So B2B is the code. I set it to be valid for 50 uses. So the first 50 people to use that code will be able to get started at memoryschool.net without any enrollment fee at all. Excellent. Thank you very much again. And and thanks for taking time to, to share your insights with us. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, give us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.